I'm going to read down from Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. We're talking about spiritual warfare here. And it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, taking up the whole armor of God, that you be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod or put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the, all the fiery darts of the, evil, of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. <sighs> Amen. <laughs> that is a mouthful. We're talking here about spiritual warfare, and Paul is teaching this church at Ephesus that he loved so dearly and so much, vested so much of his life in, that after he had left them and knew that he was leaving them for the last time, wrote this letter to them to prepare them for what was to come. We looked at the very beginning of our study back in in the book of Acts in chapter 20 where he says what's going to happen is ravenous wolves are going to come in and attempt to devour you. And those aren't the four-legged type, it's the two-legged type. And they're going to come in from the outside, and some of them are going to rise up from within the church to try to devour and pull you off track. So spiritual warfare, we see, does not, is not, what we see here, first of all, what we see is it is real. There is a spiritual warfare. And we've seen what the warfare is over. It's over your heart, the enemy trying to get into your heart. By the way, you do have an enemy. And we've learned that the enemy's not that person sitting to your left or sitting to your right. In fact, if they wear flesh and blood, that's not your enemy. They may look like your enemy, they sound like your enemy, they may feel like your enemy. But this is where we rely on what God says and not what we think, what we feel, and what we see. God says there's no human being that's your enemy. Now, what we do know is that these spirits will use people. But you need to know who the real enemy is because the next thing we saw is that our enemy does not use power because he has no power over you. He uses tricks, wiles, and deceits. And one of his tricks is to get you fighting the wrong enemy. So if he he can get you to think your spouse is your enemy or your boss is your enemy or your neighbor is your enemy or your mother-in-law or father-in-law or whatever it is is your enemy, then he's got you fighting the wrong enemy and you're going to lose. And so we've, we've learned those lessons before. And then we've seen that God has made provision for us so that we will come through this, not just survive it, but come through victorious. God's will is that you be victorious in this life. God's will is that the church be victorious. And since the church is made up of us, then we've got to be victorious. And so we've seen that God has made provision for us. And the reason so many of us are having trouble or getting beaten up is because we're not using God's provision. We're trying to put our own provision on. We're trying to what, do what you know, Sister Doodad says or Brother So-and-so on television. And they may be right, they may be wrong, but this is what God says to do. And how many of you know God's right? He's right most of the time. Yeah, He's right all the time. Okay, just wanted to see if you're awake. All right. And this is what He said we need. He's provided... His armor for us. And, and we've seen that His armor is really putting God on. And the way, reason we can put God on is we have Him on the inside of us. 
When you came to Christ, God literally put His nature inside of you. So all we're learning to do is act like who we are, because who we are is who He is. And you see in 1 John chapter 4, it says that when He comes back, we're going to see that we really like Him. And, that, that, and, and so that you want to make sure that while you're walking this walk out in this life, that we're acting like Him. So if you don't believe you can do that, you won't even try. Say, well, it's impossible. No, that's not what God's Word says. This is what we're to do. So we've seen, first of all, that He is truth. So we put on truth. We've seen that He is righteousness. So we put on righteousness. Seen that that righteousness protects our heart because what the enemy's after is your heart. He wants to sow seed. He wants to put fiery darts into your heart because if He can get your heart off track, He can get you off track. Then we saw that this breastplate of righteousness and then we've been looking at um, we've been looking at the shield of faith, and I was all set tonight to go on to the next piece of armor, which is the helmet of salvation, and I was having lunch with my wife, and she looked at me, she says, I really don't think you're done with that yet. And I had to look at her back, and I said, you know, I think you're right. So we're going to spend at least one more night on the shield of faith, because I believe she is right. We're not done with it. In fact, for our purposes, where we are right now, where I sense in me is this is the most important thing we need to learn. All the other things are important, but the reason so many of us are getting injured, drawn off, pulled off track is because the enemy's fiery darts are getting in your flesh and in your mind and maybe even in your heart and, and distracting you, pulling you off track. Remember, this is all talking about the context of a war or a battle where you have an enemy that's trying to, just trying to destroy you. Now, he can't destroy you because you belong to God. But what he can do is destroy things about you. He can, he can destroy your effectiveness as a Christian in this world. He can, he can destroy your testimony as a Christian. What he's really after, first of all, we've seen this before. He could not stop you from being saved, if you are saved. He couldn't stop that from happening. So the next line of defense for him is to keep you from being effective as a Christian. So he wants to keep you so caught up in your own problems and your own issues and what's going on in your life that you never have time to pray or think about God or anybody else except what's happening to you. And that's a deceit, that's a trick, that's a device so that he can keep you cornered, sitting back in your blue chair, sitting somewhere in the corner of your life with your thumb in your mouth, hoping to get through. And if that's what he succeeds in doing, then what happens is he couldn't stop you from getting saved, but he can stop you from being a vessel that God can use to reach somebody else. And that's why we're still here. And, you'll, and so what he wants to do is intimidate you. And he has devices, wiles, tricks, deceits. So what we're seeing here is what his major device is to shoot arrows at us. And they're fiery darts. It doesn't say, actually I correct myself, it doesn't say arrows, they're darts. Darts are little things. Arrows are these big long things that they shoot at you. A dart's a little thing that can be harder to see. And it can stick in you with a barb. And when we've seen these are fiery, which means they're inflammatory, they stir you up, and, the, and something that's fiery can spread. So one dart, one thing that gets in your heart, one word of offense, one unforgiveness, one attitude of judgment, any of those things that get in our heart and are unattended, 
begin to spread. And then the writer of Hebrews warns us that if we don't deal with bitterness, it can defile many people. And so we've seen that, not only that, but his fiery darts are to intimidate you, to distract you, to pull you off track. So we always are studying this in the context of a battle that's going on. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, ba- it's a war, but it's in the context of your one-in-one battle with him. Now keep in mind, in all likelihood, you're never going to come up against Satan. By the way, he's real. I know, you know, it's not sophisticated to believe in him, but Jesus did. Talked about him. The Bible says a whole lot about him. So if God says he's real and Jesus says he's real, then I'm not going to argue with him. Besides, that's one of his devices. It's either to think he's not real or to laugh at him, dress him up in a red suit on Halloween, you know, people, and laugh at what he's like, because then we don't take him seriously. Oh, no, he's to be taken seriously, but not to be feared. All right. So what we've seen is this. All of these pieces of armor are really putting on God. And here with the, with the shield of faith, what we're doing is we're putting on God's Word. And so we've looked at what faith is. We've gone back and we've looked at Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm not going to go back over all that. But in essence, what faith is is this. Faith is where God says something, and the, my senses tell me something else. And we've seen this, that the enemies only avenue at you is through one or more of your five senses. It's something you see, something you hear, something you feel, something you taste. You feel too. Whatever the other fifth one is. Okay? And then it's what you think about them. And we've gone over that. I'm, I'm not going to... Smell, thank you. I'm not going to go over them again. And so what the shield of faith is, is where you take what God says about it, and that's all you get behind that. I've told you that the Roman shield, they had two different, they had a thing called a buckler, which was a round device that hung over the arm, and it was used in in hand-to-hand combat with a sword on the other end. So you could put it up to deflect the sword. But when they started shooting arrows at you, you didn't hold this up because your feet are exposed. So they had a four-foot shield that was semicircular, and they would stand it up like that, and they'd get behind it. And actually, when there was more than one of them, they could lock them together. And they would just march forward behind this four-foot shield. So no matter what you shot at them, it couldn't get through. And so the only way they could get hurt or exposed is if they got out from behind the shield and tried to handle the arrows on their own instead of behind the shield and let the shield handle the arrows. And so we went and we looked then at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because Hebrews 11.1, which is the definition of faith, said faith is the substance, the tangibility of things hoped for. Hope is always in the future. And the evidence, which is not proof I've got it, of the things that are not seen. So faith steps into the place of things that my senses are telling me. So when God's made a promise to me, we're going to look at examples of that tonight. When God's made a promise to me, and my senses are telling me it's never going to happen, or the other way around. Let's suppose you go to the doctor and the doctor's run some tests and says, you know what, I don't like the results of this test. You know, your blood, white blood count's high or whatever it is. You know, and that's all you know. 
All you know is some levels elevated. I probably told you this story, but years ago, I don't do this anymore. Years ago, I take my physical and I, I, you know, I, I came home on a Friday night and Anita had been out and I, she'd been doing something. I came home from work, five o'clock, there's a, there's a message on the machine. I pushed the message on the answering machine just before I had a cell phone. And it's, this is, this is, doctor's, this is the, your doctor's office, you know, the lab results are back. Please call us first thing Monday morning. Oh, bless them. I can't call them now. So back where I was then, by the time I got to Monday morning, in my mind, there was a tombstone being carved out. I was lying in the hospital with tubes coming out, all places the tubes can possibly come out or go into. You know, my, the, the intercessory team was on the floor fasting for three days, you know, and I was breathing my last breath because I let my, I let my image, all I knew was call the doctor back. That's all I knew, but I let the enemy play with my mind. So what the, how have I learned to overcome it? Because I've learned to take this word and what it says and to stand behind it. And I don't care what I see. And I set myself in the morning this way. I don't, today, I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I feel. It does not change what God's Word says. And I base what I feel, and I base what I think, and I base what I do on what God's Word says. Now, that's in the context of the things of God. Of course, as I've said many times before, when you drive your car to work, you go by what you see. In the natural things, you use your natural senses. But when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things that this warfare is over, you don't measure anything by your senses, but only by what God says. And when you walk that way, and it's two aspects of it. You've got to choose to, to, to put your trust in what God says, and then you have to discipline yourself to not pay attention to what comes at your senses. Now we're going to look, because it says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, for, for while we look not at the... Eight, verse 18 things, says, for we look not at the things that are seen. And how do you look not at something that's seen? You don't pay attention to it. In other words, we don't pay attention to things that our senses are telling us, but we do look at or pay attention to things that are unseen. What are the things that are unseen? Those are the things that we believe, because God said so, we believe it by faith. So Paul's telling us in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's telling us the secret of how he was able to be victorious. And we went through and looked at some of the things he went through. And yet he wasn't moved by those. Why? He stood behind the shield of faith because the way he did that is he didn't pay attention to anything that his senses told him that was contrary to what God's Word said. We're going to look tonight at two examples to bring this into bold relief. One, an example of people that didn't stand behind the shield and the other, an example of two people that did. And we're going to see not only just the results of whether they survived the attack, but in one case, it meant they did not reach their destiny that God had for them. And the other case, it meant that they did reach their destiny. And in both cases, the choice they made affected generations 
after them. See, this battle's not just about you. It's not just about whether you're going to have a job. It's not just about whether or not you're going to have a house. It's not just about whether or not... It's not just about you. It's about what God can do through you, for you, for the generations in your family that come after you, and for the lives of other people that God has destined for you to touch. And that's what the enemy is after. So this is very important. This is, this is not just whether you're comfortable the rest of your life. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Now remember the simple pattern here. Faith is always based on something God has said. Because that's the only reason we have to believe that something exists or is true that we don't see. Because remember, that's what faith is. Faith is when I have, I can act with the same confidence that I would have if I had it in my hands, even though I don't see it. But the basis for that confidence is God said something to me about it. So when we studied faith, we've gone back and we've looked. Faith always is established on, first of all, identifying what has God said about this. Because if God hasn't said anything about it, I have nothing upon which to base my faith. So we're going to see in both of these cases, God said something. In one case, the people that were involved only looked at what God said. In spite of evidence that came to their senses that it wasn't going to happen. In this case, we're going to see God made a promise to them. And they looked at what God said, but they paid more attention to what their senses told them. And as a result, they were defeated and it affected generations after them. Numbers chapter 13, and the context here, of course, is God has delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, the story of the Exodus. And they have now come out into the wilderness, which is what we now know as basically Saudi Arabia. And they've come around, spent just about a year... And they've come up really on the edge of where Iraq is right now. And they were, excuse me, they've come around to the edge of where Israel is on the east side of Israel. And they're about to enter the land. And what happens here is God tells them, Moses, to select 12 men, one from each of the elders of the tribe, uh, one member of the elder of each of the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel, and they're to go into this land and to, and to spy it out, to come back and verify to the people that what God said about it was true. You say, well, why would God do that? Well, I don't know exactly because it doesn't say. But one theory I have is God knew them. God knew them. Well, here's, here's why I, I believe that's so. Because we already know, because the Word of God does say that, that when they came out of Egypt, God said to Moses, He said, I could have led them by the short route, which would have taken a couple of weeks instead of a year. Oh, there's a lesson in this one. Sometimes we wonder, God, why is it taking so long? And God said, here, I could have got you there a lot sooner, except I knew you. He said, because the route that I would have had to take you on is the trade route of the Canaanites. And when you walk along that route, you would have seen that there were men of war. 
and they would have, you would have pulled back and gone back to Egypt. See, God knows how to get you to where He wants to get you to as long as you cooperate with Him. But He may have been able to get you there faster, but you weren't ready for the route. Because He knows you well enough to know that what you might have run on along, into on the, along the route, you would have quit and given up. And He's much more of a stake in getting you there than how fast you get there. See, time's not as big a concern to God as it is to us. He's not as concerned about time as we are. First of all, He doesn't live in it. And secondly, He sees it all. So there have been so many times in my life where I thought I'd missed it, I was too late, only to find out I arrived right on time. And we don't have time to get there, but Moses is a classic example. He thought he was 80 years too late, but he was right on time. Because God had him there right on time. And so, so we know that God knew them and was directing them according to the way He knew them. So He brings them up, He sends these 12 spies in, and they come back. And they're going to come back, uh, uh, let's see, verse 26, Numbers thirteen twenty-six. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. And all the congregation of the children of Israel, they spent 40 days in the promised land spying it out. And they came back to the children of Israel in, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought, listen to this, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. So there, now listen carefully, because I want to break this down because this is where we fight the battle. They're going to bring back to them something they can hear. And we're talking about our senses against what God says. <clears throat> so they're going to bring back to them words. How do you pick up words? With your ears. And they're going to bring back to them, they're going to show them something. That's something, this is not rocket science now. You can, so, things you're shown, you perceive with your eyes. So they're going to get evidence that they can hear and evidence that they can see. Now remember what the battle is. The way you get behind the shield of faith is you don't pay attention to anything you see or you hear that doesn't line up with what God says. Now if it lines up with God, what God says, that's okay. But if it doesn't line up with what God says, you put the shield up. Alright, let's watch what happened here. Verse 27, and they told them. What sense is that? That's their ears. They told them and said, we went to the land that you sent us, and it truly does flow with milk and honey. That was part of the promise. And this is its fruit. So they're showing them. Sounds great so far, doesn't it? They're bringing back, and the evidence that they brought back to them was clusters of grapes and raisins that were so big and heavy that they had to carry them on a pole between two men. I like raisins and I like grapes, but I can't remember my wife coming back from Stop and Shop <laughs> with a couple of their men with, with a pole with the grapes and the raisins. So these were some kind of grapes clusters and some kind of raisin clusters. So the evidence, the first evidence that they see 
confirms God's word. Here's where we have to be so careful. Because even when what you see lines up with God's word, even when what you hear lines up with God's word, don't base your confidence on what you see and don't base your confidence on what you hear or what you feel. Let me give you a great example. I can't tell you the times I've seen this happen. Someone come to me with a report of a doctor that's scary. And they say, you know, the doctor's concerned about this. They think I may have cancer or, you know, one of those words that immediately triggers fear in our minds because our mind goes to tubes and all this stuff. And I'll sit down with them or one of the other pastors will sit down with them and we'll show them what God's Word says about healing. And you can see the confidence begin to build in them. And say, here's what you do. You take this word and you meditate on it. You don't take it because I said so, or Pastor Joseph, or Pastor Michael, or Pastor Ray said so. You take it because you see it in God's word. And you meditate it, and you meditate it, and you meditate it, and you speak it out, and you speak it out. All the while you're sowing it down into your spirit. And they'll do that, and they'll come back, and they're strong in faith. And then you'll get a call that says, Pastor, oh, I had a test done. And the doctor says that the blood counts up or, you know, it's better. Things are improving. And the next words out of my mouth, I guarantee you, are going to be warn you. That's wonderful. But don't move your faith from what God said to the doctor's report. And here's, that's what they did here. Their trust, even though they're getting a good report... The mistake is they put their confidence in what they saw and they put their confidence in what they heard even though it lined up with God's Word because you can't stand on what your senses tell you. You have to put your standing, your foundation of what you believe on what God says because God doesn't change what He says. So it doesn't matter whether the storms come. It doesn't matter what the circumstances come. It doesn't matter what the doctor's next report says. It doesn't matter what your old boss says. It doesn't matter what anybody does because God's Word says, I will supply your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. God's Word says what He will do. Do you understand that now? Now we're going to see where they... So they're already wrong even though they've got a good report. Verse 27, Then they told him and said, We went to the land which you sent us. It surely flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Oh, but see, here we go. Verse 28, Nevertheless, that always means I'm going to just undermine what I told you. Pastor, I love you, but... I learned a long time ago, if you've got to tell me you love me, <laughs> I'm going to duck at what's going to follow. Nevertheless, The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very long. Moreover, we... We... What's the word? We what? We saw. So we pay... Now they saw it, but this word means more than we saw it. It means we considered it. We decided it's valuable, it's real, and we're bringing this back as our report. So it's not just we observed it, We saw it, and because we saw it, we believe that's what the end result's going to mean. We saw the descendants of Anak there. They were giants. 
The Amalekites, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea all along the banks of Jordan. They're really whipping themselves up. Now, did God know those enemies were there? Absolutely. But what had God said? We don't have a chance to go back and look at it. We've looked at it before. We've gone back at Exodus and look at where God said, I will give you this land. So they have God's word. God says, I will give you this land. He doesn't say, if you can overcome the Amalekites. He doesn't say, if you can overcome the Canaanites. He doesn't say, if anything. He said, I have given you this land. That's God's word. That's all they needed it, because that settles it. All they've got to do is choose to believe what God says. Because remember, this is a spiritual battle, and what the enemy wants them to do is doubt. James tells us that when we doubt, we're like a boat out on the waves driven by the sea. He said, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Let not that man think he can receive anything from God. Now, we're not talking about receiving from God in this context. We're talking about standing stable in a battle. But if a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, he's not exactly fit to stand strong in battle. In fact, he's very easy to knock over. All right. Verse 30. That's the report of ten of the spies. But there were two others. One of them was Caleb. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now they've all looked at the same evidence. They've all looked at the grapes and the clusters of raisins. They've all seen the descendants of Anak. They've all seen the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Horovites and whatever rites there were, termites and whatever rites there were. They've all seen them. They've all, with their eyes, beheld the same evidence. Ten of them chose to believe what they think the evidence means. Two of them looked at the same evidence, and then they did something else. They looked at what God said, and they weighed the evidence of their senses against what God said, and they chose to believe what God said and not be moved. They didn't deny what their senses told them. But their sen- what their senses told them contradicted what God had said. See, faith isn't denying things. Faith isn't saying, my nose is run- running, I'm not coughing. Faith isn't saying, I don't have a cold. That's, that's deceit. That's not faith, that's denial. Remember, the first thing we learned about God in this spiritual warfare is we put on the belt of what? Truth. Truth and denial are the opposites of each other. So you can't be behind the shield of faith if you're denying that they're shooting arrows at you. Then what do we do? 
Yes, there may be symptoms in my body, but God's words made promises to me of what Jesus has done about it. Now I've got to choose to either believe what the Word says about that or what my senses are telling me. I don't deny it's there, but I deny it's right to stay there based on what God said. Or whatever it may be that God's made a promise about. Okay, so that's what we're seeing happening here. So Caleb, and Joshua was part of this too, he said, quieted the people for Moses and said, let us go up at one... By the way, when you're not quieted, <clears throat> when you're all worked up and stirred up, that's some evidence you've come out behind the shield or you may not have even picked it up. Because notice when the ten spies were finished with them and they spent all this time looking at what their senses told them, they weren't at peace. They were anxious. They were fretful. Because that's, we don't have time really to get into it, but that's part of the enemy's scheme. It's not just to shoot the dart at you. He wants to get you in fear. Because fear is the arena he operates in. Because fear is really the other side of faith. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, hope is just something I don't have now but I see in the future, then fear is the substance of things you don't have yet but you think you might get. It really is. Fear is making, it's when your stomach gets into a knot now about something that hasn't happened yet. Do you know fear is almost always about something that's going to happen? But you're going through the agony of it when? Now. That's what faith is. Faith is you act now as if what you hope for in the future is already yours now. Fear is the same thing. You're acting now as if what he's told you is going to happen were happening now. Did you see that? So when you're, what he wants to do is get you disquieted, anxious, fearful, because that's the arena he works in. And there's a spiritual force in fear. There's a power in fear. Governments use fear. I'm not looking at anybody. Families use fear. Bosses, not here, I hope, use fear. It's a way of controlling instead of leading. Fear is a substitute device for authority. I'll let you chew on that. So they were disquieted. And what does Caleb do first of all? He quiets them down to get them back in peace. So when you've lost your peace, that's a sure sign you put your shield down or you've come out from underneath it. Because behind that shield, it's peaceful. Why? Because we're putting God on and we've already got His peace on our feet. So there's going to be peace behind the shield. For we are well able to overcome it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to... See, this is the battle between what their senses told them and what God tells them. Caleb says, we're well able. I don't care what I see. We're well able. And the other ten says, I don't care what you believe. We're not able. 
Same evidence. Same sensory information. Two completely different conclusions. Isaiah 53 begins, Whose report will you believe? It's up to you which report you choose to believe. And the results depend on the reports you choose. It's in your hands. It's in your choice. You are not the victim of circumstances. That's a device of the enemy. You are not the victim of... You are a child of the living God. Filled with the Spirit of the living God. Armed with the name of the Lord Jesus. Possessors of a book full of the promises of God. Why would we ever think we were victims of the circumstances? When my Bible tells me He's made us to be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We don't have time to get there, but if you get on further into verse chapter 14, it says, because Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit about them. Okay. So their report is, we can't do this. And they gave the children of Israel, the New King James says, bad report. I love the King James says, an evil report of the land which they'd spied out, a land which God had promised to them, they call evil. The land which had gone in as spies in a land that devours the inhabitants and the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature and we saw giants. This is what we saw. We saw, we saw, we saw, we saw. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak who came from giants and they were like, look at this, and look at this, and they were like grasshoppers. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And then he add, they add, and so were we in their sight. Now let me ask you a question. How do these ten spies know how their enemy saw them? They didn't stick around long enough. But we know how they saw them because over in Joshua chapter 2 verse 5, I think it is, Rahab, when they finally get there 40 years later, says, we didn't understand why you didn't come in here. We were hiding inside our houses because we knew that you were the people that God was with. So these people that they're afraid of were actually more afraid of them. And I got news for you. Your enemy's more afraid of you. Finding out who you are than you'll ever be of who he is. Chapter 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel, see, now these ten are affecting the entire camp. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. See, now it's turning into bitterness and complaint. If only we died in the land of Egypt. If only we die, died in the wilderness. Why has God brought us out? To the, now they're going to basically blaspheme God. See, once you turn that way, it just goes worse to worse to worse to worse to worse. And then verse 6, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to the whole congregation, saying, Children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceeding good land. And the Lord, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows in milk and honey. Only do not rebel. Notice this is rebelling 
against the law. How is it rebelling? Because he said you can do it. He said, I've given it to you. See, sometimes we use unbelief or doubt as an excuse. That's not what it is. It's rebelling against God. Because, see, this is not a debate of opinions. See, it's not me saying, I don't think we can make it, and God saying, I think you can. God doesn't have opinions. He knows. I've told you this before, but it saved you a lot of heartache. I'll let you in a secret. If you promise not to tell anybody, but you get this because you came here on Wednesday night, if there's ever a disagreement between you and God, He's always right. I've tried hard. I really have. I've used before all my lawyer skills. I didn't win that way. I've used my skills as a pastor and anointed. Nothing. He's right. I'm wrong if there's a disagreement. And I've just decided to let, settle. I don't even get into that dispute. So when God says I can do something, I can do it. If God says you can do something, you can do it. Now, you may need to ask Him how. You may need to grow up. Actually, that's usually what it is. I don't think we want to go there. I know I don't. <laughs> okay. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Look at, look, at, look at what Joshua and Caleb saw. For they are bread. They are bread. Why? For their de- protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with them. Us. Do not fear them. So here's the story. And then we're going to look at another example quickly. Here's the story. God gave them His Word. I have given you this land. Not I will someday. That be hope. I have given you this land. They go in. They look with their senses to see whether that's right or not. And they come back and said, everything God said is right, but there's things God didn't tell us. And all these things God didn't tell us that we see tell us we can't do what God said that He was giving us. So they chose to believe what their senses told them instead of what God told them, and they got out from underneath or never picked up the shield of faith. The result is this entire generation dies in the wilderness. But while they're wandering around for 40 years to die, their children are struggling because of the choice they made, because they got to walk around with them for 40 years. Not only their children, but the two men that believed God have to go through it with them. Why? Because we're in it together. The choices you and I make affect each other. We're not individuals going through this alone. Well, let's look at something more encouraging. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. That's what not to do. Let's look at what to do and how this has affected us quickly. Romans 4, not Ephesians 4. Now, what's been Paul's been discussing here and I, I don't want to go back through all of it, is basically that we are saved by faith in a promise God made. God's Word says that He sent Jesus to die in our place. 
and that whosoever should not should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that means it's up to you, should believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. He doesn't say anything about good works. He doesn't say anything out there about, you know, attendance in church. Those are all good things we're to do. But, but the everlasting life, the promise is based on believing in Jesus. So that's the promise that's made. And then Paul goes on to explain that this salvation that the gospel brings to us is received by faith, not by our works and by the good deeds. Now in chapter 4, he's going to teach them an example of what that faith is and how that faith works. And he uses Abraham as an example. And Abraham was a man, along with his wife Sarah, of course their name originally was Abram and Sarai, but Abraham was a man that was, had no children. His wife was barren, and they were past childbearing age. We looked at this before in, 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 in uh, Genesis 12 and then in Genesis 15. And, and God makes a promise to Abraham and says, As for me, Genesis 17 especially, I have made you a father of many nations. So now here you've got Abram, Abraham, that he's got his senses are telling him, his experience tells him, I'm 75 years old, I don't have a child yet, but married to this woman for I don't know how many years, we still don't have a child. So I, I know she's barren, so I got, we got that against us. Not only that, she's now, she's now 99 years old, when we get to the end of the story, and I'm about 100 years old, so I got three strikes against us, all of which tell us, no way, Abraham. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Nowhere in his experience, nowhere in his senses, nowhere in anything he knows of is it possible to have a child at that age. That's what his senses tell him. And you know what? His senses are speaking to him every day. Every time when he gets up in the morning and rolls over, and there's that 90-year-old lady looking back at him, <laughs> smiling. When he gets up and looks in the mirror to brush his hair, brush his teeth, or whatever he brushes, there's that 99-year-old puss looking back at him. And you've got to know his mind speaking to him. And I won't go any further with that. But every time, every time, you know, in his lifetime, his body's telling him, it's not, you're too old. You're too old. You're too old. You, you know your body speaks to you? If you don't know it, get up at 4.30 tomorrow to pray. You watch how articulate your body suddenly becomes. Or better than yet, fast tomorrow. Just that word causes some of your bodies to speak to you. Now he's got a choice to make. Because now God has spoken. God has said to him, I don't care what your body says. I don't care what your eyes tell you. I don't care how you feel. As for me, I have made you. Notice God talks in the past tense. As for me, I have made you, not a father, but a father of many nations. Now here's, what, here's the process 
that Abraham had to go through, just like the ten spies and the two spies, and then the nation had to go through. So this is Romans 14. That's the background here. Let's start in verse 17. This is, as it is written, this is God's promise. Remember, you've got to have God's promise. That's what you're standing behind. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him or the sight of him whom he believed. In other words, what God looked at was what he promised. So God's sight is the promise he's made. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, and this is what Abraham knew about the God who made the promise, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. In other words, this is saying, this is why I have confidence in this God that's made the promises. I know two things about him. I know what he's able to do. See, it's one thing to make a promise, but you've got to be able to back it up. And the one that's made the promise to me can raise the dead. But beyond that, he can take something that's never existed and by his words call it into existence. That's the one that's made the promise. So we're going to go on here. Verse 18. Who contrary to hope, and that's natural hope, in hope believed. Now notice the order. In hope he believed so that he might become. Notice that order. You've got to believe before you become. You don't believe after you become. You've got to believe first. Because what are you believing? You're believing what God said before you have it. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, when you ask, believe that you have received them now and you shall have future. So you have to believe now. And why can I believe it now? Simply because God promised it. I just poked a hole in my Bible. (laughs) Well, it makes it a holy Bible, I guess. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, and this is according to what was spoken. So he's standing behind. He, in this battle of his senses, every day, he's standing behind what was spoken to him. I don't care what she looks like. I don't care what I look like. I don't care how hard it is to get out of bed every morning. I don't care that every bone may creak. I don't care that I look and feel shriveled up. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what she feels like. I don't care what I look like. God said, I have made you a father of many nations. It gets good, better here. <clears throat> Look at that verse 19. And not becoming weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Now, there's some translations out there, like the New American Standard, that says he considered his own body. But if you study it out, they're really saying the same thing. What he's saying is he didn't pay attention to what his body said. didn't matter to him what his body said. Or her body said to him. And without becoming weak in faith, he considered not or paid no attention to what his body told him. The children of Israel in the wilderness paid attention to what their senses told them. 
Abraham's senses were screaming at him. But he wasn't moved by what his senses say. Why? Because he had prepared himself that he's only moved by what God said about the situation, not what his senses tell him. And as you develop this, what you'll find is your senses actually become irrelevant. When you don't pay attention to them enough, they'll stop speaking to you. Without becoming weak in faith, he considered not his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's what was speaking to him. But he didn't consider it. Look at verse 20. He did not waver at the promise. In our context, he didn't come out behind the shield. He didn't peek behind the shield to see if it's working. He didn't get up one day and says, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm tired of this. I'm just going to go by it. Let me let my feelings run. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened, or the New American Standard says, grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Why? The answer is in verse 21, being fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to perform. One day when I was meditating on this, just walking through this in my mind, acting it out in my mind with situations in my life. See, that's how you meditate on scriptures. It hit me. Why wasn't he moved by the circumstances? Because he considered that the God who made the promise was well able to perform it. Why was God well able to perform it? Because the God that made the promise can raise the dead. What was the condition of his body? Dead in terms of fertility. So the God that made the promise that I don't care whether her womb's dried up, shriveled up, or doesn't exist... What's that got to do with the promise of God when the God who made the promise can raise the dead? Oh, but it's better than that. Not only can He raise the dead, He can speak to a womb that doesn't exist and call it into existence. He can speak and the stars of the heaven hang in the sky for eternity. He can speak and something comes into existence. And it dawned on me one day, what in the world do my senses have to do with something God's promised? Do my, does my body limit Him? Does that cancer limit him? What's cancer against the word of the living God who can cause things that be not as though they were? But we authorize that cancer. We authorize that womb that's shriveled up. We authorize those circumstances to have an authority in our life because we give them, even in the best cases, equal weight with God's Word. We consider, do I believe what my body tells me or do I believe what God tells me? There's no contest. The disciples came back to Jesus. Can you wait a minute? The disciples came back. Jesus sent them out. 
and commissioned them. And they came back. It's in Luke chapter 10. And it's, they said, Lord, Lord. They tried it out. It works. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, cool. That's neat. He says, that doesn't impress me that much because I was there when the head guy came against my father. And I saw how long that lasted because he felt like lightning. See, the power of God is infinite. So when God's made a promise, whether it's your body or finances or your future or whatever it is, nothing can stand in the way of that promise except your unbelief. You put the promise down and you decide to handle it on your own with your own senses and your own reasoning and your own strength. And then we get in trouble, we pick it up again and start reading again. You've got to take it. You've got to find the promise. You've got to meditate on it because it it's real enough to you. But I'm telling you, stand in this battle, will help you meditate on it. And then you just stand behind that and you gird yourself and say, I don't care what I see. I don't care what I feel. What's that got to do with a promise God's made to me? What does my senses, what does anything my senses, what can they possibly, it's completely irrelevant to something God's promised me. Whose report will you believe? Because they believed God. And it took them a while to get there, so be encouraged. It took them about 24 years to get to that place. So there's hope for some of you, us. Because they believed God, we're talking about consequences, God was able to birth through them a child of the promise, Isaac. And then through him, again, he had to go through something similar, a child of the promise, Jacob. Through him, 12 sons and 12 tribes. Out of one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah, came the Savior of the world. If he didn't believe God, and chose his senses instead of what God said, he would not have had a child born of him. And there would not... I don't know what God's plan B was if he had one, but this plan would not have worked. And the blessing of Abraham that the Bible says is ours would not have come upon us. And that ultimate blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. There's much that rides on whether or not... That's why there's battle. That's why the enemy's fighting you. It's not just to stop you. There's much that rides on this battle. And God has already made provision for us to win. But we've got to learn. It's not automatic. We've got to learn to... Just when we see the children of Israel, it wasn't automatic either with them. We've got to learn to stay behind the shield and not stick our head out and see what, which way the wind's blowing and get a dart right in the middle of our forehead. But stay behind. Say, well, how will I know when it's over? You'll know when it's over. And if all you ever do for the rest of your life is stay behind the Word of God, guess what? You're in good shape. 
Don't ever try to get out there on your own. The whole endeavor of my life right now is to get away from doing things on my own and do it more and more and more and more and more in Christ.